This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to listen to the podcast on today. As always, a special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. Word is getting out about the podcast more and more and more. And so I'm glad to be able to bring something to the user experience community that is going to benefit the user experience community. I I say this often and I'm going to say it again. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I am here providing a service to the community to give people things that help people drive a greater understanding of the discipline, to help people to navigate their, their own trajectory within the discipline, to help highlight problems within the discipline because you can never overcome a problem unless you first identify it. So that's why we do that. I talk to people about that all the time as well. Uh, But again, please know we're not here to become a star, uh, but we are here to benefit the discipline. The discipline that I actually, my time in the discipline is actually not too far from ending. So please know and understand this stuff will be around long after I'm gone and hopefully still helping people to navigate and to help to achieve success within. Uh, Today, uh, we are still continuing in our segue, a little bit of a break from the Sinister UX series. And I love bringing great voices on the show, people who have fantastic things to talk about and share with the UX community at large. And I've got one of my favorite people in the discipline that I'm going to have on here. Somebody I think is a an absolutely brilliant mind when it comes to this discipline. Uh, And I always let people uh, introduce themselves, but I am going to say one thing before, because we're going to, for the most part, talk about a specific topic and things associated with that topic on today's episode. But there's a story that I tell from time to time before I let, let my guests introduce themselves. There's a story I talk about from time to time where in the early days, I got started in 95, I fell into it like most people did. And then I fall in love more and more with information architecture, I fall in love more and more with interaction design, all the different components associated with what we now know to be user experience. And as I continued to grow, I noticed something. I, I noticed in my observations that the people who had been doing UX for a longer period of time, they all seemed to, I mean, I, I wasn't finding these people at work. I wasn't, when I would go to see talks, and if I did see a person had been doing UX for a long time, they all seemed to have their own business. I'm like, why is it? I, I was always asking the question, but I never asked them directly until later. Later I did. Why is it that these people all seem to have their own businesses? It's like, is that the standard way that you mature, you grow? Is that the end game? Is that where we all end up, that you work for somebody, but eventually you go out and, hey, I'm doing this. I should go out and start my own thing. Is that really the path? Uh, and, And so I kept observing and I kept asking and I kept observing and asking and observing and asking and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And, I, and I'm going to leave my little pseudo intro there. Uh, and now I'm going to open up the door for my guest, uh, the one and the only 
one of the, again, one of the brightest people I have had the pleasure of not only knowing, but working with, he was my boss, one of the best bosses I ever had, by the way, but I'm going to turn it over here. Mr. Justin Ranton is back with us again on today. Welcome, Justin, and take it away and let the folks know who you are, sir. Thanks, Darren. It's so great to be back here on the podcast with you. Uh, you have too many kind words, and I can only echo the same thing back to you. A great mind in the industry, a thought leader, somebody who I look up to, and you've you've been a mentor to me from afar for many years now, and and even at, at close range when we were working together. Uh, so thanks so much for the opportunity. So for those of you that don't know me, um, I am a designer by trade. I've been d- doing design for 20 years now. Uh, I got my start way back when in 1998 uh, using a hacked version of Photoshop 5, uh, <laughs> designing web banners for fun. <laughs> True story. Don't get me. Uh, Adobe. <laughs> anyway, um, and but most recently I have uh, made a giant leap, uh, not only for my, myself, like my own mental sanity and mental health, <laughs> uh, but for my family and my career. And, uh, I'm now the principal and owner of black hole design studio here in Seattle. So, um, you know, still doing UX and design and branding and marketing for, for folks, but, uh, just in a different capacity. So, uh, nice to meet all the new listeners and, uh, yeah, thanks so much. That's a fantastic. I love it. I love it. And, I, and I, I wish all the best for, for a black hole. I look forward to the day. I expect to see your website and all the list of your clients. I always like looking through those types of things. So, but let's go ahead. We've got a list of things we're going to talk about. And the first thing, and it sort of will piggyback on the, the little half of a story I just told about my observations of, of all those people. And I will uh, add one more thing there. There was a, a professor, the person who was in charge of managing all of the adjunct professors at Kent State University. That person was one of the first people, if not the first person I ever talked to, who was an individual contributor at one time in the world of UX. And then he had his own business. And I wondered why. And you start to here and you find out they couldn't, they wouldn't get hired. And that's why I start to get all this data that people are, are their, their individual contributors, their managers, their team leads. And then all of a sudden nothing. And, and it became very difficult for them to find gigs or find gigs that they found to be satisfying. And the next thing you know, and you can see, you see them all over the place. I mean, Alan Cooper, uh, uh, look at the Jesse James Garrett. A lot of these people, Kelly Goto, a lot of these people were individual contributors. The next thing you know, they've got a business and the road to that then became a thing of interest for me. So for Justin Ranton, why entrepreneurship? Why did you go the way? Because you've got you've got a, a phenomenal work history. How and why did you go from being that individual contributor, director, manager, all those types of roles to black hole? What What was the 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 thing that helped stimulate this move for you. Well, I think that's so I want to start with why I didn't do it a long time ago. Excellent. Because I being an entrepreneur and having my own design agency, actually I, I did that really early in my career. I was doing freelance work, right? Mm-hmm. I had my own little marketing agency and um 
I had clients and they were very small business clients and I was, you know, doing things like business card design for them and, Mm -hmm. uh, ad collateral design. And that's kind of how I transitioned into the printing world and then started a more, uh, a more consistent career in design and marketing, which led me into my UX pathway. So it really started with that. Um, but when I got into W2 work, I started realizing that there was a lot more stability, a lot more, uh, consistency in, in the projects that I was going to be doing. Um, there was a lot less thought work in, you know, how I was going to get my next paycheck and things of that nature. And, um, another, another note that I've never really talked about before is that I used to be in sales early, early in my career. I sold cars (laughs) for a while and I sold print and, um, the thought of, chasing business, right. Uh, was always just a really bad taste in my mouth. I, I, I felt dirty as a salesman and I felt bad about it. Right. Yep. And, um, what I think, I think the reason is, is because of how I was taught sales was extremely about being manipulative and convincing mm. people and persuading people that they needed to buy from me and buy the products that I was selling. Yeah. So, I, I never really liked that. And so I never, I never really took that bridge. And I've been approached by a lot of people, you know, family and friends and and colleagues that have said, you should start your own business, start your own business. I think you'd be good at it. And I'm like, I just don't want to chase business. I don't want to do sales. Like that's not me. Mm-hmm. And the reality is when I unpack everything I've been doing for the last 10 years in, a, in the corporate world of, of UX, all I do is sell all day long. I sell my design, my ideas, my right, vision. And, right. And it, it is sales, but it's sales backed up with mm-hmm. reasoning uh, from a method, a methodology standpoint or from a logic standpoint or from a revenue generation standpoint. Uh, and so over during my career, I start learning how to justify my, my decisions and justify articulating design decisions to, to steal from Tom Griever, I believe for yes. that one. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so anyway, I, I kind of had in the back of my mind that I could do this. Well, the real impetus behind this transition is that um, I lost my job two times in two years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I feel less stable in the corporate environment than I do going out to do my own thing. I feel like it's an equal amount of risk at this point. Great point. Um, yep. And so when, when that happens, you have to start thinking, well, you start really reflecting on all the things that you don't like about being working for another company and having bosses. And, and then you start unpacking the toxicity and the volatility of working in companies that don't understand and respect the work that you do or don't understand the value that you bring. And yep. you're constantly having to fight um, tooth and nail just to have a reasonable and emotionally intelligent conversation about the value that you bring to the organization that hired you and wants to pay you a salary to come in and do work. And then all they do is argue with you about your work. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so that's some negative stuff behind, behind the impetus. That's really what triggered it. Now the positive things, because there's a lot of positives in this for me, I get to decide what I'm going to work on when I'm going to work on it Mm -hmm. and how I'm going to work on it. Nobody's telling me that I have to follow a certain process or that I have to use a certain tool or put it in a certain format. I don't have to do HR trainings every other month or, uh, you know, IT trainings or security trainings or any of that. There's no responsibility on, on me as an individual to 
comply with the regulations that uh, some of these behemoth companies have to adhere to. Now um, that doesn't mean that I don't still follow best practices when it comes to that, when dealing with my clients and their work, it just means that I, I don't have to share the, the same accountability as somebody who's, you know, doing trillion dollars of business or billions of dollars of business every year. Uh, It's a different scale, right? And that compliancy and training stuff, it can really burden you down and makes it difficult to do your job. And it just puts a lot of constraint. So I get to have that freedom. Everybody talks about that, but that's not, it's not a, it's not always freedom all the time. I have to still stay motivated. I still have to follow within the guardrails of doing good work and following through and holding myself accountable. Other positives are, I haven't felt for the last two and a half years of, of my corporate jobs, mm-hmm. I have been in a really uh, stressful, anxiety-ridden um, state of mind. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I'm constantly having to worry about how someone else is going to receive the work I'm doing or if I'm going to get laid off tomorrow or if uh, my my team is going to get shut down or if people are going to get fired, there, there's such a lack of transparency in those environments yep. that I don't know what's coming. And I, I saw a meme the other day on, on one of the platforms and it was something like um, when, when your boss tells you to set goals, but your only goal is to go home, you know, because <laughs> at the end of the day, like I just wanted to go hang out with my wife and, and relax because I was just so full of stress before the end of the day. So Mm -hmm. the positive side of that is that I feel relief, this relief of pressure and this relief of stress and anxiety. It's a whole new set of things that I have to deal with and problems and challenges that I'm learning to work through from a business perspective, but I don't have to think about the design stuff that Mm -hmm. I know, right? The, the design, the UX and that whole process is second nature learning about building a business and uh, you know, finance and things like that are new to me, but it's a new challenge and I get to learn it on my terms, which has just opened up this. I, I, I feel so happy and I'm joyful when I wake up. I'm excited to come sit in front of my computer and do my work again. I'm excited to go talk to people about what I do and, and get them excited about what I do. So they want to say, Hey, Justin, I'm going to give you thousands of dollars to do that for mm-hmm. me. And, and they listen to me. And they want to hear what I have to say and they trust me. And the result of that is that I'm helping businesses grow already. And I've been in business for two months. I'm seeing direct results of design. I have pipeline of clients and customers and these people actually value and trust what I'm doing for them. And it is just an absolute amazing feeling. So, so that's why that's, that's where we're at and, and how we got here and why we're doing it. That is, that is fantastic. And you bring back memories for me and you're also making me, Think about a few things as you as you mentioned that I had a background in sales too, mm-hmm. and and um, I was always taught you know the old Tom Hopkins and the Zig Ziglar and all that old stuff and um, and I was I, I knew about hard sales and soft sales and I was big mm-hmm. in the soft sales and the big issue that I had in sales just go down memory lane for a moment was yeah. that you would find out what people's needs were because I took the old needs and I was already a needs analysis person and I would use right. needs analysis to drive my sales. And I would prove to people, this is the best product for you. It fits within the budget that you identified and they would still go a completely different route. And I walked away from sales because of that, that 
you could do your absolute best and still not, uh, not knowing that that was preparing me for UX because I end up in <laughs> experiencing the same exact thing. You convince people yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. they should do, and then they still do what they want to do anyway. Um, right. and, and, and for those out there that haven't considered it, and please going to uh, sort of bubble what something that Justin said back up in people's memory here, sales is a major part of UX work. You have to sell your work <laughs> and people don't always want to want to want to buy into that. So just something to keep people aware of there. It's a major part of what we do. And the less or the lower the UX maturity is, the more sales you're going to have to do. Uh, but there's always mm-hmm. going to be a sales component. Deal. So you just took me down memory lane there for a moment. I did a little bit of freelancing. I've tried to avoid it. I have Kaizen UX now. Uh, but I purposely, because I'm still so busy and still working on my dissertation, still doing other things, I don't try to go after work. But I might have to face the reality that what you're going to talk about here today is something I need to go back. When we're done, go back and take a look at it and reassess things for myself as well, personally. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So so you gave us the why. You really already covered the second bullet point. You, you, you hit both of them. And you talked about the transition that you have, but I think there's probably a little bit more to elaborate on. So I'm going to stay there sure. on, on the transition. What has that transition to entrepreneurship been like for you with, with black hole? So I'm, I was in a unique position where I had uh, just separated with my employer. And so I didn't really know what I was going to do next. The job market, everybody's listening to this podcast right now is probably fully aware of what has been happening in the tech job market and specifically how it's impacting user experience designers. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're not aware, uh, get aware because there is a a major transition happening right now and all of our jobs are severely at risk from from a design and UX perspective. And I, I think the number one reason for that is because our work is a cost center work on, on paper from a finance perspective. Uh, and, and that is hard for w- when companies are making tough decisions about how to meet stakeholder or um, uh, shareholder uh, targets. It's really easy to let go of those types of things because they're not, they're not directly connected to bringing revenue into the business. So yep. I was in a situation where I separated from my company and I didn't know what to do. So I've been applying for jobs and I've applied for probably close to 500 <laughs> jobs since, uh, I lo- since I separated in November yep. and I have had no interviews. And the crazy thing for me is that I have to your, your earlier point, I do have some experience. I've managed teams. I've led teams. I've scaled teams globally. I've, I've brought in multiple different types of roles and hired really great talent and built really great products. And, um, and, you know, I'm not taking it personally because I know that right. there's thousands of people applying for these same jobs, but I had to have a plan. And the, the alternate plan was you can go find a job down the street selling cars or working in, you know, a restaurant or leveraging old skills, go back into hospitality or anything like that. You can start your own business. That was an avenue that we considered. And uh, I even... Funny enough, my my uncle is a um, a BIM coordinator, and this stands for Building Information Modeling for a, a major electrical company out of uh, Texas. And whenever uh, 
whenever I lost my job, he said, Hey, I can throw you some contract work. And you know, it was for a fair salary for what it was, but it wasn't going to pay my bills. Right. And so I even started building a resume specifically to that work and trying to find jobs in that field because I was getting some experience and it was 3d modeling for, you know, drawing electrical plans and stuff. And so there was connection. I had a lot of transferable skills. So I, I went down that path and started trying to build that avenue up. And I said uh, to, to my wife, I said, look, I, I really think that w- what happened is my neighbor said, hey, I know you do web design and stuff. I had reached out to him and said, hey, I, I need some freelance work. If you know anybody. And he said, why don't you come to this networking event with me? And I said, sure, I'll go. And uh, I went one morning and they wanted like $70 a month to join. It was like $60 or $70 a month to join. And I knew what my runway was and that I couldn't spend money to, to join this thing, but it was nice to go out there on the way home. My neighbor showed me a piece of design collateral that he had made a, uh, a marketing brochure sitting here in my desk somewhere. But, um, and I just started asking him questions about it. I was like, well, what is this for? Who, what are you trying to communicate? And, uh, who, who is it for? And he said, you don't, you can't get that from the piece. And I'm like, no, I have no idea what you're actually trying to sell on this thing. And he's like, that's interesting. He's like, uh, and he told me about it. And I said, well, here's how I might change some of this to tell that story a little bit better. So I just UX'd him on the way home. He drove me. So on the way back, we're having this conversation and I said, well, Hey, listen, let's, let's keep it going later that night. I sent him a message on uh, Facebook and I said, Hey, listen, I think I could really improve your website. Would you be open to having a conversation about what that would look like? And he said, sure. And all I did after that was I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, Keith, here's what I want to do. I want to redesign your website and I want to, I want to charge you what it costs to be in that networking group for one year. And he said, I love that. Let's do it. And so that was my first client. And, and, and after that moment, I came home and told Heather what happened. She, I got her to agree to me uh, spending the money to join the networking group on the backside of this, knowing I had no, no revenue coming in at this point from a business perspective. And she said, uh, okay, let's try it and see what happens. I went to that meeting. The first meeting Mm -hmm. came home with a new client. I've had multiple clients come out of that networking group already. And it's just ever since then, it's like the universe is rewarding me for doing this. So I just keep getting positive reinforcement every time. And it's not just positive reinforcement with new clients. It's people giving me testimonies and saying how great they are and how, how, how great the work is and how much they, they enjoyed working with me. And then on the backside of that, I'm able to re-refer them business, right? So it becomes this really mutual thing. Yeah. And so that's what the transition has been like. Now, I, I will I will stop with that story to transition to the business side because I don't have a freaking clue, man. <laughs> I don't know anything about business. I don't have an MBA. I've been taking some MBA courses online and I've been... Um, trying to learn about finance and taxes. First mm-hmm. thing I did was hire an accountant when I started having income, because I think you have to have that because you don't want to get in trouble there. Yeah. So um, I found somebody that was willing to do that, but I think it's really simple and I'm trying to keep my business model super, super simple. And I think anybody that's going into this needs to do that. Like don't try to overcomplicate it with all these different things that you can do. Find something that you can do and boil it down and say, here's what I offer. And and I, you can exchange money and get this product from me, right? And that's really all it is. What I've figured out, that's really all it is. And so as long as I keep it simple, I think I'll be okay. That's fantastic stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I know one of the things that what you said makes me think about 
the concept of networking is popular in UX mm-hmm. circles, but people, when they hear networking, they think about networking within UX circles. Networking, when it comes to freelancing, is going to require a bit more. It's going to require a wider net, casting of a wider net. And there's a lot of of networking opportunities from a business standpoint, wherever mm-hmm. somebody lives, uh, w- w- virtual or or uh, in person, uh, just want to make sure people have that. Have that uh, if you're thinking about freelancing and you know networking is key, uh, just make sure that you expand your horizons beyond UX folks. And that's going to give it a tip on this. Sure. So, um, it, being in sales, I'm sure you've done business networking before, and maybe some of us listening have have before as well. But I'll tell you the the number one most important thing is to show up and show up consistently. Mm-hmm. You've got to be in front of people. You've got to go out and you've got to talk to them. So find a networking group that is a business networking group, not a UX group, but like there's a bunch of them out there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give any names because I don't want to promote any of them. Right. But the, the rule for me right now is find in-person networking events, go to them and go consistently. And instead of selling your services, give away what you know. Because when you start giving away your knowledge to people and sharing what you actually know, they turn that into value in their head. And what happens is then they say, hey, can you do that for me? And I'm like, absolutely, I can do that for you. Don't sell. Bring value. Be a servant leader. Lead lead through servantship. And and that will result in business, I promise. Awesome. That's awesome. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Next topic. The You mentioned small businesses. And I know that when it comes to freelancing, the the whole, the world is an oyster, so to speak. I think that's the way that that saying goes. So there's a lot that's available, but specifically you call out small businesses. And, and when we talked about what we wanted to, to get into in this episode, you mentioned small businesses as well. What kinds of insights, thoughts, or commentary do you have with regard to providing UX and design services, marketing services for small businesses. And these they, these folks very rarely have the ability, the capital, to have these folks mm-hmm. in-house. So this is, this area it stays ripe on a regular basis. Yeah. What are your thoughts about this? So there, a couple of things. Like, first of all, why small businesses is really important. Because I could be selling my services to, you know, well-established profit-generating companies as a consultant or something like that. But the reason why small businesses is because I feel like small businesses are actually hungry to try new things. I was having a conversation with one of my clients yesterday who works for a very large bank, but is starting his own consultancy company. And the reason he's starting that is because of the same reason I'm about to describe here. And it is enterprises talk a lot about wanting to innovate and try new things and do things differently. But at the end of the day, they don't really want to do something new. They just want a new revenue stream or a new way to make money. Mm-hmm. It's not about trying to reinvent the wheel or improving processes or anything like that. It's all about how you're generating revenue. So when I when I work with small businesses, what I see is there is a real impetus, I mean, a real uh, hunger and drive to try new things. Like they're willing to be vulnerable from a business standpoint and take more risks. As a designer, that's really good because now your creative world has just exponentially grown 
And as a UX person, you can talk to people and, and learn things and find out those little insights, you know, from a UX perspective, from a research perspective, one of the things that, uh, that I always talk about is what did you find that really made you excited about talking to that person? Like what's something interesting you learned and you want to turn that into an actionable uh, idea or something you can try from a business perspective. And I feel like small businesses are more open to that. And so they want to grow, they want to try new things, but also to your point, Darren, they don't have the capital of the revenue to do design in house. So they're doing it on their own yep. and they don't really understand the ROI of design, the yep. return on investment of design. They don't understand how design correlates to brand equity. They don't understand how it correlates to customer loyalty. They don't understand how it correlates to improve sales. Yep. And when, when you can bring that value to them, at the end of the day, small businesses want the same thing businesses do, which is revenue. But small businesses are looking for growth. And yep. if you can help build followings for them, create campaigns that are attracting new customers to engage with them, and you're driving conversations for their business I'll tell you this, I sell for a lot of my clients because I understand their businesses inside and out now. I'm I'm learning what their what their offering is. And so I can also do referrals and and I can sell their I sold I'm literally selling I, one of my clients manufactures a chemical, a cleaning product, and I literally sold it to one of my other clients because I knew and I called up I called up Cesar and I said, "Hey man, I've got this client that wants to buy 275 gallons of your chemical right now. And boom, that's a commission for me. Thank you very much. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I, I think, so you, you have a more intimate connection. You have more, I don't want to use the word authority, but you have a little bit more respect from a small business uh, because you're actually, tan you're quickly showing them results. You're quickly showing them impact. Uh, so that's another reason uh, that I think small businesses, there's a lot of them out there. Everybody's starting new businesses every day. Uh, there's eight, what eight, eight, some odd 8 billion people. You only need a handful of those people to make a business survive. Right. And right. Um, so go find the few small businesses uh, in your area that are struggling. I saw another cool thing. Somebody, and again, small business. Another cool thing I saw recently on on uh, one of the socials was a guy that's going in in a street in New York City, and he's finding people who have like written handwritten posters for different things, and he's redesigning those posters for them and just hanging them up. So it's like a wow. contribution to his community, yeah. kind of cleaning it up, making it look nicer. But the value that that brings to that client or that that individual, that small business who maybe needs that collateral, is it's more than just a design artifact to them. You have br brought value. You've brought um, awareness. You're bringing uh, expertise that they didn't even know that they needed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they want to listen and they want to learn and they're hungry. Like entrepreneurs are hungry. And I'm learning from other businesses too, financial advisors, business coaches. I'm absorbing everything. So it's just a really tight network. That's fantastic stuff. Mm -hmm. Really fantastic stuff. And got my mind again. You come up, we got my wheels spinning over here as I'm thinking about this. Hmm, I could do, I should do this for Kaizen. I should do that. And, and it's funny when you mentioned networking, the people don't believe this. I, I know some people have actually laughed at me when I say this. I'm actually shy. And people find that very difficult to believe. And so when it comes to networking, Especially since, you know, I've been working at home since the pandemic. 
began. So the mindset of getting out at networking is not on someone who has the same type of persona as myself. It's not really on our mind. You know, the, 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 the pandemic helped me to stay in my sort of in my box. What mm-hmm. might you, and this is sort of off the cuff here, but what might you recommend for somebody who is a little bit more on the introverted side, but yet they have something to offer, but networking is not something that they feel that they slide into naturally. Do you have any tips or thoughts with regard to what people can do to to yeah. sort of, um, how can I say, spur themselves along or grow in that arena? So... I I know by, not by design, but in general, I think not in general either. I, I don't want to make general broad, broad statements here. It's my understanding that a lot of creatives are introverts. I, I think that's me personally. I'm not, I'm an extroverted personality, but with constraint, there are situations where I find myself more able to be extroverted in versus introverted. If I'm big crowds, I tend to be more introverted. If I'm in a smaller group of people, I can be more extroverted and kind of take that. And I don't have that, you know, I'm okay with that. But if I, I network with a lot of introverts actually. And I think if I was to give some advice here, what it would be is the person asking the questions and I'm, I'm stealing this from a guy named Chris Doe right now, but the person asking and and probably other people too, but the person asking the questions is controlling the conversation. So as introverts, I think we find for introverts, what I understand is it's really hard to talk about ourselves and we feel a little, little nervous about being open and vulnerable. And I could be generalizing here and I'm not a therapist or psychologist, so I don't know for sure, but I would say come prepared with questions and let the other person talk Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, if you can get them down a pathway of answering questions about their business and themselves and their family and what their goals are, then all you're doing is taking mental notes about the things that you can do to help them. And this is how I actually sell. Yes. Uh, I I use a value-based sales approach um, that I've been practicing and learning. And it's all about trying to get people to communicate to me where they want their business to be next year. And so I'm asking questions and they're giving me lots of data and answers. So it's less about me and it's more about understanding where they want to go. And then I can key in and say, Oh, well, what do you think it is that you're going to be able to achieve or how are you going to achieve that goal this year? Well, I I need to probably do more sales on my website. Boom. UX designer. That's your calling, right? Digital Mm -hmm. product, be able to improve conversions. That's your calling. Now you have something to talk about. And so you can kind of redirect that conversation a little bit. But I think the other thing is, Um, try not to necessarily try to just bring topical information. Like in my networking group, we all sit at a table. There's usually six to eight of us at a table. We, we get three minutes to talk about ourselves. And what I do is I bring a metric and a story instead of trying to be really specific about, Oh, here's all the things I do. I'm a branding designer and I do this and this and this and this and this. I say something like, did you know that, um, you know, businesses that prioritize design are generally uh, higher revenue generating. And here's why. And it's because of these things here. So what I've just given them is yep. some advice and some value that they can leverage. And so it's a little bit easier to break the ice that way. 
Fantastic, too. And there was one other thing that I almost forgot. When you talk about people who they don't have, we mentioned both mentioned how that folks don't have the capital to have designers in-house and they do it themselves. This mm-hmm. is the age of, and I've been seeing more and more advertisements for this lately. You already know where I'm going. You need a business? You just go to Squarespace. Hey, I just designed a website. I did it on Wix in just a few minutes. And people think that this is one of the reasons that why UXers get so commoditized because people think that design is something that anybody can do. They don't understand that it's not just art. There's also a science. And if you get involved in, in design and you don't know the scientific side of it, got some potential issues there. What are your thoughts about these businesses and people going to encounter folks that say, well, why you and not Wix? Why you and not Squarespace? Why you and and not just go and my kid can do a website for me, you know, have you ever seen pennyjuice.com? They have a site. Yeah, and it always shows up on the wor- the worst web- websites in the world list for a reason. What are your thoughts? Because this is a, one of the hurdles that the entrepreneur has to overcome. The competition is Wix. Yeah. Um, well, look, I think, so I redesigned people's Wix sites and Squarespace sites. The client that I was referring <laughs> to earlier, that's what I did. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a few things about it. Like, I think number one, what I've, what I've learned is people don't understand. I feel really bad about saying people don't understand because it's not that I don't think people understand. I think that they have, they don't have all the information. They have some information. They don't have all the information. So when you get approached by Wix or a GoDaddy builder or something like that, can you build your own website? Absolutely. And if you have the the bandwidth and the prowess to go and do that, to get your business off the ground, by all means, go do it. Um, why would you want to bring on a professional designer or somebody who understands user experience and understands how the be- behavioral economics of a website? Well, it's really simple. It's like I can generate more conversions than you. And how do I know that? Because I understand how websites work and how the mind works and how layout improves conversions and how language and content strategy improves conversions. Um, That's the value that you're bringing to the table. Building a website, to your point, art and design are two different things. Art is being creative without the need to be monetarily compensated for it. Creating art, you know, is, is it's, is, is a completely different space and there's a freedom there, but your goal with art is not to generate conversions for something. Your goal for design is about the science that that we apply to create something that's useful for people so that they can accomplish something, whether it be for your business or for the, the end user, whatever it is. Right. So yeah, you can go build your own website, but there's a increased stress related to that. Mm -hmm. Um, because you now have to take that stress on. Now you have to manage it and you may be not sure it's a brand equity problem. Cause if you build a bad website and it goes out to to the public and they see your website, they're going to think, Oh, these guys are really not well put together or they are kind of on the lower end of things. And, uh, to be quite honest with you, people that have a higher, uh, aesthetic, a a better well-designed product are perceived as a higher price at a higher price point. So I would be willing to pay more for something that's better designed uh, so that it can directly impact your revenue. Um, 
your your professional reputation and representation and all your brand, if you just jump into building a website without actually thinking about what your brand story is, the brand values that you have, uh, how to communicate that through your work, it's going to be a really disjointed communication and experience for your customers. Your website's probably not going to say what it is you really want to say and how you want to communicate it to people. And so um, as designers and UX professionals, you know, I hope that the starting point is to really deeply understand who's going to be using it, what they're going to be doing with it and how that is needs to be communicated from a unique selling point or a unique value proposition to your business. And we build that into the design. Um, Also the most people building their own websites are not looking at it from a strategic approach, right? So I think, designers are going to be a little bit more strategic UX professionals, especially about Mm -hmm. how we approach things, why we put this language, what language we use, where we put things. And there's a, there's a flow to your sales process. And we want to capture that on your website as well, for example. And this applies to any collateral, right? Um, I've been doing a weekly office hours on discord where small businesses can come in and ask me anything about design branding or marketing. Nice. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great. And so I, I host this on uh, uh, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Um, but what we're doing uh, is you can come in as a small business designer and bring your, say, I need a business card. And I'm in the process of bringing that. If you send me that file early, I'll work live and help you design a better business card. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times it's a great example uh, because you, we started the conversation with Wix websites, but I want to translate it to paper collateral for just a second. Uh, business cards, often there's too much information. People try to put their whole list of services, everything they do there, <laughs> and really you need to have the selling proposition, what it is you're offering. It doesn't need to be a list of everything you do. Uh, they use really tiny font that's really hard for people to read because they, they're trying to fit so much on the card. There's not good hierarchy of the information there. Like the name mm-hmm. of the company is really important. Your name is really important. Your phone number is really important. Everything else on a business card is secondary to those three things. And this applies to another concept of billboards. When you drive down the highway and you see a billboard, the average time to look at a billboard is about six seconds. That's all you get. The <laughs> right, most right. important information on a billboard is the exit. Where is the location of this place? Because if they don't know where to exit, they're going to miss your business. The next most important thing is what is the business? Is it a hotel or a restaurant? Uh, but we we inverse that. We're going to put our brand name real big, and then we're going to put all the other information really small at the bottom. But that's not really how our brains work and how we consume information when we're in those situations. So if you don't have that knowledge, you're going to design something that might generate some business. But when you hire a professional who really understands the behavioral psychology and the behavioral economics of design, you're going to get exponentially better results, higher conversions, better loyalty, better conversion, better communication. At the end of the day, I tell people I'm the architect between your brand and your marketing because all of that is communication. Mm -hmm. And my job is to communicate what you do in the most consumable, user-friendly way possible so that people don't have to ask you now tell me what is it that you do? Can you clarify what you do for me just a little bit more? Right. That's my job. That's excellent. Excellent stuff. Love that. Love that. I'm thinking about the our next topic here. In particular, you mentioned how you transitioned into freelancing and you mentioned a few things. I'm I'm going to assume that there's a bit more that you want to elaborate on. Um uh, specifically, if somebody is, so I'll rephrase this. 
specifically when it comes to transitioning into freelancing. What is your advice? Because and you mentioned earlier, you got to have an accountant. You got to have somebody to take care of the financial part of it. We can't just come to the table with all these wonderful UX skills and then miss out on this whole additional segment because it's about running a business. You, you can't just be good at UX. You have, you have to have some degree of aptitude at least to know who to turn to with regard to other things. So what would be your your advice for those when it comes to not only transitioning but running your business? Excellent question. And I've been putting a lot of thought into this lately because when I did this, I just kind of jumped into it. And now I'm thinking, now I'm restructuring a few things and kind of learning as I'm going and I'm, I'm networking with people and learning about how to run a business. So I say the first thing is there's a mindset shift that's going to take place. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to learn to embrace uncertainty and risk at a different level and a different perspective. Because right now, calculating risk for before I started my own business, calculating risk was like, you know, am I going to, you know, buy a new car next year? right? That's, that's a risk. That's a financial risk that I might be taking on. Now the risk I'm taking on is like, do I go to that networking event today and try to get a new client or do I finish this client work and deliver that? It's just a different level of, of understanding risk and uncertainty. You just don't know what's going to come. So you've got to focus on planning your risk for different areas of your business. Getting new clients is one of them, how you manage your client work and your schedule, um, where you go and when you go. Uh, how you present yourself, rebranding yourself, all that stuff is going to fall into that. You've got to start building some resilience as well. Uh, Entrepreneurship is definitely a marathon. It is not an overnight success thing. Mm -hmm. While I have been somewhat successful, I still can, if I don't make enough money this year, you know, I'm in a situation where I might have to, you know, sell my house, right? And that's a real, I'm being super, you know me, Darren, I'm super vulnerable and transparent. And that Mm -hmm. is like right now as of today, that's a real situation for me. Uh, and so you have to know that there's a long game. You have to be resilient with the decisions you're making and push through. Um, but if you develop really good coping strategies uh, to manage your setbacks and to maintain a positive outlook every morning and every time I'm on the way to my networking event, here's what I say to myself. Everything I touch is gold, everything positive, nothing negative, abundance, abundance, abundance. And that is me reaffirming to myself that this is going to work. My business is going to be successful. So I've had to sh- make a mental mind shift there and really focus on that. You've got to stay flexible and be open to learning as well. I mean, if you don't know about business, you're going to have to go out and teach yourself about business. You're going to have to ask people. Mm-hmm. We have the sum of man's knowledge in the pockets today, right, on our cell phones. And it's all out there. You just got to learn how to find it. And I know uh, one of the things that you're really good at is is helping people understand that they need to be discerning about the information. And that's really important because you can get some bad advice financially yes. and tax-wise and business-wise if you're not careful. So do your due diligence, um, but be open to learning and, and try to learn these concepts around uh, running a business and you know cost of goods sold and what your gross profit margin is. I think I might talk about this more later, but when you are thinking about pricing your work, the most important thing is knowing how much profit you need in order to survive. If you don't price your work accordingly, you're just, you're always going to be negative and you're going to be giving work away and you're not ever going to make money in your pocket. So just keep that in mind. I think another thing is to seek mentorship through, uh, you know, when you're going to these networking events or leaning into people that you've seen do this before. I know there's a lot of folks out there that want to sell a course on 
starting your own business and being a consultant. I don't th- necessarily think you need to do that uh, unless you just want something out of the box that you might be able to follow along. I think that's just so generic and cookie cutter uh, that it's probably not going to apply to your direct situation. So I, I, what I recommend is to seek mentorship of people that are extremely successful in business. Mm-hmm. Um, find people. Um, I think I've said this on another podcast. You can't soar with the Eagles if you're hanging out with the turkeys, right? Okay. So find people that are going to have that elevated <laughs> viewpoint and hang out with them, spend time with them, yes. buy them lunch. You know, when you see that it's okay to do that. And by the way, that's a business write-off, right? So um, I'm learning about that and, and prioritizing <laughs> self-care is really important too. make sure you get enough sleep and all that. All, everybody knows about self-care, but you got to do that. So that's the mindset shift part of this. I think the next thing is really around networking and community building. Make sure that you're engaging locally. When you're starting out, um, there is a ripe community of businesses and potential clients right in your backyard. And that includes your family and friends. Do not do work for free. And there's a lot of people and courses out there will say, oh, go yep. design the website for, sh- for free. Don't do that. Just go and give them a reasonable price. You're, you're building your portfolio. And, uh, you know, if you need to build your first website for, you know, a couple hundred bucks, build it for a couple hundred bucks. And, and then now you have your first client and you can say, Hey, I just got my first client. We're done. We're out the door and then get that person to give you a referral and give you a, an amazing testimony. And you'll continue to build business from that. But, um, tapping into local business is important, but what I said earlier, show up and show up consistently. You know, when you find a networking event, you're going to go to, um, you need to be there. And, and if you stop being there, people forget about you really quick. Like one day you're there, the next day you're not next day you're not. And then you come back, there's no consistency. And when you're consistently showing up, people are like, that guy shows up, he's trustworthy. I'm going to engage with him. Right. Um, and then I think a couple of other things real quick on just the networking aspect, leveraging online platforms is good. We all know social media tap into that, build a following. There's plenty of stuff out there. Um, attend industry conferences and workshops when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I prefer to go to free things, uh, but there's also really <laughs> low cost ways. So here's a, here's a hack in my, in my community. I live in, in Seattle, Tacoma area and Tacoma had the Tacoma home and garden show, um, a couple last weekend. And I think it was five bucks to go. And I made some business cards and I went out there. And if I found a business that I was like, Hey, you know what? They've got a cool thing happening. I, specifically, I found a barbecue sauce company. You know me, I like to eat uh, and I specifically <laughs> like to eat barbecue. So I was like sampling all of his sauces. And I was like, man, your stuff is so good. I love your barbecue sauce. Would you be open? And he's got a really cool logo and stuff. I was like, would you be willing to collaborate with me? I'm, I'm starting my own design agency right now. And uh, I'd love to work with you to create a new label or a, a social media post or something so I can showcase my work and, and return you, you can get more clients. And he was like, absolutely. Right. And it was effortless. <laughs> right. So being out there and going to that stuff is really important. I think um, on the business side of things, um, you're going to want to establish some kind of business plan for yourself, at least understand yes, yes. what, who your target avatar is, who do you want to serve? There is a lot of debate in this community of entrepreneurship of whether I niche down or whether I stay broad and serve everyone. Early on, it's going to be easier to go broad. But if you've been doing UX and design for a specific vertical for a number of years, it's going to be better for you 
to niche down, it's going to be easier for you to get clients. So let's say you've been in the healthcare industry. I was in the healthcare industry for a long time. I actually can speak better to healthcare professionals because I understand HIPAA. I understand how healthcare works. I can, I understand the language and terminology. So if I wanted to, I'm not doing this, but if I wanted to, I could position my business specifically as a healthcare design company. And I would do, I would probably get a lot better clients right off the bat from that perspective. So I would consider niching down if you, if you have the expertise there. The reason I've gone broad is because I want to do things I haven't worked on before. Uh, specifically, I want to work with uh, wine brands. That's really interesting to me. I like, mm-hmm. there's so much variation in how wine and is marketed and communicated. And I think it's a really cool niche for me. So I'm kind of niching down there right now. But um, do market research though. If you're going to niche down and make sure you're spending your time doing your UX initiatives and, and understand who your competitors are, understand who your clients could potentially be, what are their needs, what are their wants, and set good, good goals for yourself. Uh, and hire an accountant, hire an accountant, hire an accountant, hire an accountant. Don't do your own finances, hire an accountant. Um, getting started is actually pretty simple. Um, when you, so I've LLC'd my business. I had to get a business license in the state of Washington. I did all of that myself and you can do it online yes. and pay a flat fee, but I did it myself and it was actually really easy. Um, mm-hmm. What was difficult was knowing all of the things that I needed to do. And the way I found out was I actually had called an accountant and I said, Hey, I'm starting a business. I'm not sure what all I need to do have in place. She's like, well, have you got your business license? I was like, do I need one? I, I've got this. I have a UBI, which is like the state uh, identifier for a business in Washington, but you also have to have a business license. And I just didn't know. So the accountant told me all the things that I needed to do because she's aware of what she's going to write off. And so she has a list. So again, hire an accountant and uh, maybe hire two. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so yeah, so, um, there's some legal stuff you want to be aware of as well. Um, and so, you know, it's always good to have, uh, some legal representation, go over any of your contracts or anything like that you're going to write out. So, uh, mm-hmm. don't do anything blind from that perspective. So, uh, just, you know, if you have a question, you're not sure seek legal advice and, and it's worth, it's, it's worth its weight in gold from a monetary standpoint. It's not cheap. Uh, but uh, it will keep you protected and make sure that your intellectual property is safe. So, yeah. So those are the things that I, I think are important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and as you were saying that, and I think you actually just covered our next uh, point too, as well, the, the uh, selling, selling UX work. One of the things that I've thought about, I've heard about it, I've investigated it, and I'm going to end up revisiting it in the not too distant future, but there is insurance that that is critical to have if you're going to be doing design. I think somebody referred to one specifically as omission insurance, that if there's an error made in the work, you have to be covered from a liability standpoint so that you don't run into any issues out there. And, and we have an extremely libelous society that will make that insurance invaluable. So again, it's like you can sit up under a tree and decide you're going to start a business. You have to consider all these components, all these elements that come into play. You can't just have the skill. You've got to have some know-how or at least know somebody who does so that you can fill any gaps that you have and and keep yourself safe. That self-care, that psychological safety piece, major part of it. It's a reason that a lot of people, as, as, as you mentioned, Justin, a lot of people 
go this route because of the psychological safety, it, it offers a, a benefits that just make it like a no brainer to go in this direction. But you you do have to cross your T's and you do have to dot your I's, which is something we shouldn't have to say to UX people because we're in a design oriented business. We're, we're paid to be anal basically, as I like to say. And, and so make sure that you understand what the, what those T's and those I's are and then document them and go and cross them and dot them so that you can have the psychological safety benefit that you should be reaping from going in this direction. A hundred percent. And I just want to add one thing to this really quickly. And that is it's a lot but it doesn't all have to happen right now. Yes. Like yes. you build it out. You, you do things like phase it out. Like I'll be quite honest with you. The first guy that paid me, I didn't have an LLC or any of that stuff. Now, retroactively, I'm still reporting that, that revenue right. uh, for my business and stuff. And it's coming on my taxes and things, but I didn't have to have that in place to get started. Just, I think the most important thing is, is we, we get hung up on the details of being perfect all the time yeah. in a business. The people that are making money out of businesses are the ones that started the business. Just go and start working and figuring it out and finding clients. Yes. Um, 99% of uh, owning a business is solving problems. 1% is actually doing the business. Mm -hmm. The rest of it's figuring out, okay, I need a business license. How do I do that? Go find it. It's really easy to find and it's super simple to do, but you have to figure out how to work through those problems. And that's what we're great at. We're problem solvers by nature as designers and UX professionals. Yes. And so everybody's always like, oh, I just want to solve really challenging problems. Well, figure out how to write off 99% of what you make <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that you can actually collect a paycheck at the end of the year, right? So I would say, here's, here's another tip while I'm thinking about this too. Whatever you think you need to make financially, try to double it. Go big because believe it or not, I think it's easier to do more than what you expect, but if you don't set that big goal, you're not going to try. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reality is, is that you're going to lose 50% of your income in your business from a business. If you structure it right, like I'm not a tax professional, that's not entirely true, but if you don't do anything, you take your own income out of your business, it's 50%, right? Because of taxes, you got 15% income tax, you got 30% income tax coming on these different things. Um, that's not my forte, but anyway, I'm just saying, just plan for that uh, and and shoot big with your goal. Yeah. Yeah. Something else you mentioned, I want to revisit real quick too, just in case somebody missed it. Uh, and I know we have an international audience, so I don't know what the laws are overseas, oh, yeah. but here in the States, um, like I, there's a business, I can't remember this one business. They I used to see the commercials all the time that they would help you to set up an LLC and they make it sound complicated. They make it sound costly. Setting up an LLC in your state is relatively, my understanding across all 50 states is relatively inexpensive. Here in Michigan, it costs $50 to set up an LLC. You file the paperwork at the state level. You mm -hmm. give them your payment information. I just renewed one of my LLCs today because I have a photography business as well. Mm -hmm. It costs $50 to set it up. It costs $20 to renew every year to basically let them know that you're still in business and to stay on the books. It is free to go to the IRS. It didn't used to be this easy. You can go to the IRS after you're finished hearing this show today and go and set up an EIN. You can just, you can just call a number 
Give them the information. Get your EIN. And the next thing you know, you got an email in your EIN, your employee uh, information number, already set. It, it all set and ready to go. And you do have to have the EIN before you set up a bank account. So, yep. so just a, yeah, a few more business tips that people don't know about. But don't I don't remember that. I actually told people not to contact that business before. Why pay them two hundred and fifty dollars set up an LLC in the state of Michigan when it only costs you fifty dollars? I don't. I, you're not offering. You're not giving me a benefit. You you took the fifty dollars and you 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 profited the extra two hundred. I don't need to give yeah. you that kind of money. So so make sure don't fall for these kinds of okie dokes. They're everywhere. People have businesses set up to make money. They don't necessarily have things set up to give you the best options. So, um, one of the biggest things you can ever do for your business, if you want to go the route of the entrepreneur, is be a smart cookie, and and yeah. and and start being a smart cookie by being a smart cookie for you. And and yeah. this is one of those things. I'm not giving you two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars, five hundred dollars to do something I can do for fifty. No way. It's a really good point. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, it's good advice. I like, I like be smart and learn to be smart for yourself mm-hmm. is really great advice just in general across the board. Yes. And I think that when you start, unpa- by the way, if you didn't know this, you can Google something like what are, uh, what can I write off as a graphic designer or what can I write off as a wow. design uh, person? Right. And you'll get a whole long list of things you can write <laughs> off. Hire an accountant, though, to make sure you do it right. But it gives you an idea of what you can write off. Like, for example, um, my I can write off a portion of my mortgage because my office is in my home. I can write off a portion of my internet, mm-hmm. my travel and gas to all these networking events I've been going through, the software, if I'm buying templates or if I'm buying you know, my Figma subscription or my Adobe Cloud subscription. All that stuff is a business expense and it's write-offable. Write-offable? Is that a thing? <laughs> I can it is it today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. And, um, and that helped me kind of build a little confidence. Cause then I'm like, I'm thinking the whole time, like, ah, I've got all these costs and all these things associated with my business. But when I started seeing like the offset, the, this, the, the IRS and the States really do make it beneficial for you to have your own business. There's a lot of knowledge that you have to have to make it work appropriately, but the mm-hmm. tax system is actually set up for businesses. It's not set up to be an individual, right? Right. So, um, and and so when you start learning and figuring that stuff out in the U.S., again, I know we have an international audience, but in the U.S., that's how it works. And um, be smart about it. Figure it out, but hire an accountant. They'll answer all your questions. Can I? I'm going to say it one more time. I won't say it again. <laughs> hire an accountant. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And our last topic, right. and this is one that I inserted, so this will be a bit of a surprise for you. But this came up a little bit earlier. Uh, you talked about this, and I think this is one of the biggest questions that I've seen over the years. One of the biggest questions I've had, because I'm a former freelancer as well. I started out in UX mm-hmm. as, as a freelancer, and I did that at night for years. And, and all of those, oh, by the way, all of my proceeds were actually donated. I didn't pocket one red cent from any of the work that I did. I don't, I, I made thousands and I don't, I donated all of it. It's uh, <laughs> just, just, just for the record. Uh, but how do you bill? How hmm. do you bill? It's one thing to have the accountant, but the accountant won't be able to answer questions about billing. 
how do you charge people? What? How do you arrive at establishing a pricing structure for mm, the services that you offer? <laughs> and 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 so yeah, which is different than billing, but leading into billing, the whole the pricing yeah, yeah, yeah. structure. Uh, what do I bill you for this? I did this for you. It's easier to do it, I think, when you're first starting out because you have no idea and you know what you'd be satisfied with, and that ends up determining how you build things. But but eventually, there's going to have to be more structure. And, and yeah, I love how you said that we, we grow into things. You, We're always advancing. We're always evolving. We're, we're mm-hmm. not going to be perfect up front, and we're not going to be perfect even down the road, But but we're getting there. Right. We're always trying to get better. So mm-hmm. how does somebody approach the billing, not the act of billing per se, sending out the invoices, but arriving at how to ascribe prices to the work yeah. that I do? What do I charge for my services, right? Yep. That's the question that always happens. And so I think it's going to differentiate for everybody. It's going to be a little bit different, but I think the formula in general, the formulas are going to be about the same. And it starts with understanding um, you know, do you want to do hourly billing, which I don't do? Well, that's not true. I charge, if, if I had to do like a consultation or something, I'll charge in 150 bucks for an hour. If I need to hop on a call or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. flat rate, 150 bucks. An hour. But if, um, if I'm doing like a piece of work, like, uh, let's say a website design, I don't have set pricing for anything. And the reason is because I don't think that in, in the way that I'm structuring my business, is I don't think it's valuable for me to have that um, because I'm either going to undercut myself in some way or I'm going to undercut my client in some way. Mm -hmm. So I do something that's called value-based pricing. And the only way to get to value-based pricing is to find out what the value of that service is to your customer, your client. So uh, would you role play with me for a moment? Sure. Sure. Okay. So Darren, is there anything that you've got going on right now in any of your businesses? I know you've got a couple of different initiatives where you feel like you could do a little bit better to improve, you know, your, your overall business, your revenue or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. Can you give me an example of something that that you'd like to improve in your business? Yes. I, for my photography, operation. Mm -hmm. I don't really engage too much in marketing. I think that it's, it's an arena where like a lot of other businesses, the ability to be successful and to be profitable is about the awareness of those in the market. The consumers Mm -hmm. have to be aware of what you're offering or, I mean, they're not going to buy it. They're not going to dream about you and wake up and go find you. You (laughs) You have to, you have to do something. So I'm like, what could I do? I just redid and rebranded my entire photography operation. Actually, you actually know about that. You gave me some input on that. Um, but but the site is there, but do people know the site is there? So there there's there's got to be this connection. What can I do from a marketing perspective? What might you recommend from a marketing perspective? And what service could you offer me from a marketing perspective that could help me to sort of make that take that next step? So you, you're looking for recommendations from a marketing perspective that would help you take the next step for your website specifically? For, for the website, for the business, of course. You know, the website, of course, is an extension okay. of the business. 
And people don't know what's out there. So what so, is the? Go ahead. Don't no. Go ahead. What, what, what can I do? I, I I feel like I I don't know what to do. I really don't know well, what, what to do. What is the goal? The goal is to make people more aware to sell more. If I would if I would have a KPI here or or, or mm-hmm. more of an OKI. Oh well, okay. I'm I'm thinking about two different things here, but right. I would like to start to generate more sales. This is a plan for me to have more of that kind of a passive income because people are always going on the site and buying more prints, buying more pictures they can hang on their wall, things of that nature. I'm going out taking pictures, putting them out there, but people don't know they're there. So how much more sales do you want to generate? Oh goodness. Uh, I would love to have just generally, even if I had three, if I made $3,000 quarterly, that'd be great. That'd be, that'd be a huge okay. jump for me. Phase, so make- say phase one would be to make $12,000 a year. Okay. So $12,000 in a year. And so if, if you could make $12,000 in a year, how much would you be willing to put against that $12 to get that, that 12 grand? How much would you be willing to pay to get that, that return? I'd say uh, somewhere between a thousand and two thousand, okay. uh, because to me, no. seeing this as a phase one, it's going to ramp up. It's going to get better. It's going to get bigger, and I think that I'm one of those people that believes you have to spend money to make money. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, a thousand of that, a twelfth of that, or a tenth of that is that. Well, I'm doing math this early in the day. Not going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So. So typically, you know, we would want to put like 20%, right? Okay. To, to make 12 grand. So you'd be at $2,400. Okay. So would you be willing to spend $2,400 right now to make 12 grand? I think so. I, th- I think it's a sound investment because I know it's going to turn okay. into, I know it's going to turn into 50,000 later. Okay. So I don't Great. mind doing so that. Let's do this then. Uh, I'll send over the contract and we'll get started. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right. So what did I, so what I just did there was I found out what you were trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I found out how much you needed to move your business and I found out what you were willing to pay for it. My job now is to figure out what can I do to generate $12,000 uh, for for $2400. And mm-hmm. that's totally possible. I mean, I can run SEO campaigns on your website and take that I take my portion which would probably be 25%. So I would take, you know, 600 bucks off the top of that and put the other $1800 into paid search for your business, put your business up at the top of the the website searches mm-hmm. and boom, you're going to get clients immediately. And what you're going to do after that is you're going to come back to me and say, "Let's do that again." Right? So I didn't give you a price up front of what it was going to cost. I figured out what you would be willing to spend to make right. that kind of money. And I think that that's what value-based pricing is. Now, that's not always the case, but if you can have that conversation, like let's say it's a website, for example, what are you trying to do with your website? Well, I want to do, I have, I have another client, I'm not going to mention any names here, but his goal was I need to make 700 grand this year. Whoa. And I said, okay, well, how are we <laughs> going to do that? What is your plan? And he gave me a bunch of stuff that he had been doing, what he's trying to do. And, um, and he said, uh, and I said, well, I did the same, I asked the same question. What would you be willing to spend to, to make that $700,000. He's like one to 2%. So like, I think it was ended up being like $2,400 a month or, or something like that. And I said, so here's the rea- here's the reality of that. To make that kind of money, 
back on an investment. Like if we were doing paid search or ads or something like that, your ROAS, your return on ad spend would be like $43 per dollar. And that's astronomically uh, insane to think that you can get that kind of return. It's just not smart. It's it's not right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I have a conversation, a more realistic return would be one to $3, you know? So let's start a little bit. Let's, let's downscope this a little bit, be a little bit more realistic of what you're trying to accomplish here. And, you know, you know, if you want to pay that 30 grand or that $2,400 a month or whatever it is, I can turn that into, you know, let's, what's whatever the math would be on, uh, you know, 20% um, of what you're trying to accomplish. And I've closed several clients with this method and I haven't even given them a proposal of what I'm delivering for them. Wow. Because your job is only to figure out what they're willing to pay against that service. And then great. I'm going to send you over a contract. We'll get started and we'll build something together. We'll figure out what, what you actually need. If somebody now, if somebody's coming directly to you and say, Hey, I want to, I want to do a website design. Great. If you want to have a structured pricing for web di- website design, here's how you do that. You need to understand what your gross profit margin is. And you have to understand what your cost of goods sold. You know, you have to break down what your overhead is. How much are you paying a month for Figma? How much is your office space costing for that 30 days? How much is your gas to, to find that client? How much is it going to cost for stock photos? You have to understand all of that overhead. And then you want to minimum tack on 30%. Mm-hmm. ideally design should be getting 50% margin. It's not unheard of. It's perfectly acceptable to get that right. And I just, there was only 25% margin. That was what I was going to keep off that job that I just quoted you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, once you figure out what all your overhead is and then tack on that 30% minimum of what you're, what you need to make in a profit, that's what you charge. Honestly, you have to understand what you need to make on a monthly basis, how many jobs you're going to do in a month, you know, maybe you're only going to get one website client. I, I, I just trans took business from another, uh, web design agency here locally. Uh, I stole their client, uh, because I'm, you know, I bring value, right? <laughs> they paid $19,000 for their website. That's how much it cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of small businesses, that's an astronomical cost to right. build a website, right? Nine, $9,000 up front for, you know, the, the homepage plus a few SEO pages. And then, uh, there was some other pricing for other listings and stuff, but the total contract was like 19 grand, but I started doing the math on that and how much work they were putting into it. They're making a 50% profit margin all day long on that job. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you just got to know where you need to be, uh, on, from a profit, pr- from a gross profit margin perspective, and then price your work accordingly. I hope that's helpful. It's really it's not complicated. There is a ton of YouTube videos out there on this, and I highly recommend Chris Doe's videos. He's he's an expert when it comes to teaching designers how to price and sell their work. Okay, Chris Doe's. Okay, awesome. Awesome. That's awesome stuff. Well, that's the end of our list. This is Dynamite. This is a different kind of episode, I think. And it's very, very, I think people are going to find it very enriching, very enlightening. And I hope people more than anything else, I mean, because there's a lot of people that think that what we do is just a notion. Uh, and I hope that people understand, no, this is going to take us a little work. It's going to take a little bit of, uh, got to put some elbow grease into this. It's, it pays to be smart. As we say that again, you know, to get an accountant, my turn to say that. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, but, but uh, it, it's, it's more than a notion folks, but it's very rewarding. It's a lot of fun. 
And, and I hope that people take it take it seriously. Let's vault the discipline forward, everybody. And that that that's really again why we do the show. Everything. It, uh, let, let's vault the discipline forward. Let's do things the right way, and let's make people respect what we do. Let's give them a reason, I should say, to respect what we do. So, thanks again, Justin, for your time. <laughs> thanks again for your time with us today. This this is fantastic. And you know, we're always going to connect again later about something else. I, I'd love to. I'd love to connect later to talk about in a year. What is Black Hole revisiting the the road to entrepreneurship? How is Black Hole doing now? And, and and what have been your lessons learned? I that, that'd be great to do that a year from now. But but I'd I, love to do it. Yeah, but I, I again I appreciate this. Any closing remarks for the audience today before we wrap up? For the audience, I think of everything that we talked about today, the the one thing I really want to ring ring home and like bring home is if you're thinking about starting your own agency and breaking out on your own, just do it. I think you're not, you won't ever be successful in it unless you do it right. It's, it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the value and the reward that it's brought me already, and I'm only two months into this has been fantastic. I mean, I'm leveraging a 20 year design career and, you know, so I understand the work, but get out there, be bold, be brave, be audacious. You know, when you get knocked down, get back up again and keep going. And, um, you know, if you have any questions or you're curious about anything, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to to provide any more context or mentorship or anything like that for folks if, if they want it to. So um, feel free to reach out. Darren, as always, thank you so much for the opportunity. I love chatting with you. You're such a great interviewer and uh, podcast host and conversationalist and uh, <laughs> you're a great mentor as well. So just thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for the opportunity and um you know, I'm looking forward to you doing it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm excited to be able to celebrate from afar. I know him. I want to be able to, <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> but folks, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. Thanks again. Those of you listening for the first time, tell your friends, people that you know are serious and are passionate about UX. Tell folks about the, about the podcast and, and uh, spread the word. I'm going to be getting out on the, on the, conference trail this year so hopefully get to meet some of you out and about that listen to the listen to the show even internationally i'll be making two trips abroad this year so hope to meet you then make sure you stop me we sit and we talk we chat and and uh and encourage one another and support one another as we're out and about but until next time this is darren hood the host of the world of ux signing off as always happy uxing everybody Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.